Welcome, everybody. This is episode 20 of Football, a podcast. We, I am here with my man, Matt. We are still billless. Uh, what's going on, man? Not much. Not much. Looking forward to today's trip down memory lane. Yeah, this is an episode that I'm super excited to do with you. This is actually Bill's idea from a few weeks back. And um, I we noticed the people who listen to this podcast are... 93% of you all are between 28 and I think it was like 34, 37 with that demographic. So we probably have a general collective memory of the sport. So we just won the bullshit. I mean, we're in the dead zone now between the end of the season and training camp starting. There's going to be nothing new that comes out. And I don't want to spend another freaking episode talking about Aaron Rodgers. No. So, I mean, let's, why not just BS and, and go down memory lane of, you know, what got us into football, favorite players, memories, things like that. And just have a, just have a little bit of a laugh. So it's a bummer. Bill can't be here to do it, but I mean, we, we carry on with him in, uh, in memory, even though he's not dead. Don't worry, listeners. Um, so I don't know where you want to start, Matt. What, well, what, what there, intrigued you? Well, I'm going to do one shameless plug before okay. we jump in. This is this is the dead zone, right? Yes. This is the between the draft and and the start. But so you dead. should be doing your fantasy prep, yeah. listeners. <laughs> Get true. out there, do your fantasy prep. Make sure that you're doing the right things. If if you know you're not doing the right things, you're not being the right kind of person. Uh, <laughs> there is a resource that I authored on our website of four different draft personas that uh, are the hallmark of terrible fantasy football. Uh, general managers, go check that out on our website. Um, and you know, that would be always good, but uh, but yeah, fantasy football, it was kind of one of the things that that I remember being like a like a hallmark of yeah. of bringing me at least, especially Bill, into the fold of like really enjoying football outside of like our own individual fandom. Um, so maybe we can start there. Yeah, it got it got me caring about anyone other than Steelers. You know, right. I think at the time growing up, my my football universe was like Cordell Stewart, Tommy Maddox, like that was it. Yancey Thigpen, and like nothing else existed. Like I didn't know really any other players. I just watched the Steelers every week. Right. Um, and then once you start playing fantasy football, you start learning other players and, and things like that. So I don't know. The first year I played, and you were probably I think either the year of or the year right after was like 2003. So that's kind of where my whole NFL uh, memory starts, I guess. Yeah. My, my very, it's funny. I still remember my very first fantasy pick. Okay. And, and it's funny because it just shows how much the game is sort of the fantasy game has kind of changed. Um, And it was right at the precipice between like you had these quarterbacks putting up big stats and, um, coming off of Peyton Manning's record-breaking season, and I don't remember the specific figure, but he had yeah. broken like the touchdown record, and I forget who was the previous record holder. Uh, and he had that amazing season where, like, whether you had Marvin Harrison <laughs> or Reggie Wayne or or uh, Brandon Stokely or Dallas Clark, like it didn't matter; they were all wide receiver ones. Yeah, like they always were putting up points because the dude was throwing five touchdowns a game, um, and. I came into our league and this had to have been like, I don't know, like ninth, eighth or ninth grade. Yeah. And I came into our league and I, I got the first overall pick because I inherited what was the worst team at that point in time. And it was a no brainer. Like you're picking Peyton Manning. Like you have to pick Peyton Manning. 
I don't even know if we're doing keepers at this point in time, but I remember Bill, and I have to give him props here, Bill was one of the forerunners at at 13, 14 years old <laughs> of the running back, like the the late quarterback strategy, yeah, like yeah. go running back, go wide receiver, get those positions because of like supply and demand and get your quarterback later. And I remember him telling me like, Peyton's going to score you a lot of points, but you're not going to win a lot of games. And I was like, no, he's Peyton Manning. Like, how am I not going to draft Peyton Manning? He's the dude put up 500 fantasy points the year before. And he was like, I'm just telling you, you got to focus on your running backs. Um, and he was kind of the first one in our league who who really implemented that strategy. And it felt like that strategy became more prevalent as as the years went on that people started to realize like, oh, man, I shouldn't be drafting my quarterback in like the first round or, or as the top overall pick. I think that um, it, 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 you go through that learning curve where it's like, okay, I want all the good players. And then it goes from, well, maybe just getting all the good players at their position. Maybe that's not going to win me the league, you know, depending on, because you and I did the whole tight end thing recently too. We, we both, you know, couldn't learn from each other's mistakes. We were like, oh, if we have two tight ends, you know, <laughs> two elite tight ends, this was going to help us out. And uh, it didn't. And I feel like you go through that learning curve where it's just like, yeah, sometimes the, just because they're at the top of their position doesn't mean it's going to be great for your fantasy team. Which... Yeah, last year I had I had Waller, I had Kelsey, and I had Waller. Um, but my receivers were a dumpster fire yeah. because of it. Um, and you kind of look at it and you're like, but they're both two number one wide receivers. But when you actually look at, at some of the point totals, um, they're really not. Yeah. Because when you look at and this is we're talking like half half point PPR scoring, um, like Kel- Kelsey and Waller were I think probably in like Kel- Kelsey was in like the two fifty range and Waller was in like the two twenty three range for half point PPR scoring, and then you look at like Devonte Adams and Tyree Kill and Stephon Diggs and those guys were like, I think Devonte was three hundred, yeah, and Diggs like who was the third overall guy was like. 280 and and hill was 290 or 285 and you're like oh there's a there's a legitimate disparity here yep. we're giving away too many trade secrets yeah yeah ignore uh, that ignore yeah. that if you're if in, the, in our league in the ffl yeah if you're in the ffl ignore that i am curious though what is your first football memory period my first football memory first football period me- like watching the game not necessarily playing it but like watching it yeah, the one the one that I remember, um, some of these memories are probably going to lean towards like Steelers. Yeah, so maybe I can give I like a Steelers one. I think it might be the same one we're thinking of. Yeah, I can give like a Steelers one, then I'll probably have to give like a another one yep. to maybe pay attention to. Um, the first memory I have that's associated with the Steelers is the nineteen ninety four AFC Championship okay. game. Okay. Steelers versus the then San Diego Chargers. Um, who went on to the Super Bowl? And I don't remember. I think the running back was was Bam Morris, oh, or I don't remember the guy. I don't remember who the running back was. But late in the game, um, uh, Neil O'Donnell, the quarterback, throws one from the maybe either in the goal line, like five to ten yard line, hits the running back in the end zone, bounces off his hands, the ball falls, incomplete pass. And the Chargers celebrate. They're off to the Super Bowl in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh loses in, a, a, I think, one of the first AFC Championship games that Bill Cowher lost during his tenure. Um, so I remember being heartbroken from that standpoint. And then the other memory that kind of 
coincides with that is the Hail Mary that Jim Harbaugh threw. Okay. For the the Indianapolis Colts in the following year's AFC Championship game um, against the Steelers at at Three Rivers Stadium, and it was um, it was all controversial at the time because it you couldn't really tell. It was sort of one of the first um, controversial like instant replay. Yeah. Um, Why well, don't you could go to replay then? Yeah, it could go to replay oh, at that could? point. Okay, there was, I didn't know. Yeah, I, I think we we had a lull where like they had instant replay and they took it away and then they brought it back, um, and that was all within like the the late nineties, early two thousands. But I remember that game where Harbaugh threw up a hail mary. Yeah, the ball was incomplete, but um, Harbaugh and the Baltimore coaches and or um, Indianapolis co- coaches in classic Harbaugh fashion were complaining to the refs and. They needed to. They had to go back and review the play, and ended up the Steelers won. They ended up going to the Super Bowl, ultimately to lose to the the '90s Cowboys, which like I don't know who was going to beat those teams. Um, but yeah, that's probably the the best, um, the earliest memories that I have. Um, but I'll pass it over to you, Zach. Yeah, mine's like the same thing. It's the mine's a Neil Donald pass to no one. Uh, in the Super Bowl against the Cowboys, that yeah. I don't remember much of the game. I, I don't think I even knew it. Ha- all I knew is that the people around me were not happy, and this is where the start I think of my um, my devil's advocate or my contrarianism started because I remember the whole week up to that game, like my family was asking me who I was rooting for. And I said the Cowboys because I like the star on their helmet. Now I don't like the Cowboys, but. Um, I think that's where my contrarianism kind of started there, but I do remember the pass to no one. That was my first, that's my first football memory, um, which is a hell of a first memory to have. Yeah, that, that's a big play. And the funny part is, is, and I'm still not entirely sure. I'm sure there's documentation on it somewhere, but it, you know, O'Donnell caught all of the flack for that. Mm -hmm. But when you watch the play, it seems to me like the receiver might have run the wrong route, and I don't remember who the receiver yeah, I was. Yeah, I have no clue. But when you're you're a kid, you don't you don't <laughs> yeah. notice any of this stuff. But I remember like I remember watching that as when I got older, and I kind of understood the game a little bit better, and being like, I don't know if that's a quarterback's fault. We as a society seem to like give the quarterback too much too much um, praise, and then too much blame as well. Um, and there's some, something happened there, but there, there may be a, a document that kind of like, or an interview that outlines yeah. that at some point in time. The, the first thing I remember or the first football memory I have where I could understand what was going on, not just the people around me were unhappy was the Packers Patriot Super Bowl, the Brett Favre, um, version where right off, yeah. the, right off the, I think, I don't know if it was the opening play or at least the opening drive. He, there's that long, what is it? 50, 60, 70 yard touchdown pass. Uh, he throws. Uh, that was like the first football game I watched and actually understood what was happening in that one, which I yeah. think was like ninety what seven. It was ninety six. Yeah, seven, yeah, it was ninety six, and then ninety seven. They followed it up where um, Green Bay was going for a repeat, and they met John Elway yeah, and the Broncos. the Broncos. That's right. Yeah, that was another Super Bowl that was that was pretty prominent in my mind. Uh, the the one about the Packers and the Patriots one that always always befuddled me was why didn't Brett Favre win the MVP? And I know Desmond Howard. Desmond Howard won it because I think he had caught the long touchdown, but he had also had a kick return for a touchdown. I was going to say, didn't he have a return for touchdown that game? Let me look it up. I'm, I'm fairly certain that's what happened, but I always remember being like, 
I feel like Brett Favre deserved the MVP in that game. And usually they like yeah. the media sort of defaults to the quarterback, but maybe that was a, just maybe a different era. Wasn't that, that they actually now that like now the quarterback gets it regardless. Like last year, Tom Brady won the MVP, which was ridiculous um, in the Super Bowl. Well, I don't, I don't know if I wouldn't have given it to Tom Brady. Oh, Devin White deserved that MVP, or um, or Shaq Barrett, hundred percent. Oh, that's valid. Yeah, I almost feel like I almost feel like they have to give out one per side of the ball. Like there should be an offensive end and defensive MVP, yeah, like they like do that. in college. Yeah, like that should be more because ultimately it's it always seems to default to the quarterbacks and. And with the exception of like, I think the last defensive player to win it was Vaughn Miller. When the Panther was that the was that the Panther Super Bowl? Broncos and Panthers, okay. yeah. But they have to change this. Where like, the, there's there should even be an MVP award anymore because it's always just the quarterback. Um, but there should just be an offensive player of the year and a defensive player of the year, and and that's it. I think what they're, tr- I think what it seems like they're doing now with the awards, it's like MVP is a quarterback, and then offensive player of the year is the best skill player out that's not a quarterback. I, it seems like they should must give like a quarterback of the year and then like an MVP, or even in these games like you were talking about. Yeah. So I have the box score up from that Super Bowl. Uh, Desmond Howard. Um, I don't. He didn't catch a. He didn't catch a touchdown pass, but. When the score was 27-21 Green Bay in the third quarter, he took one 90-90 yards. Oh, no, it was a pass. Never, no, it was a kickoff return. I'm sorry. Kickoff return. Yeah, kickoff return. Kickoff return. Um, 9-90 yards for a touchdown. Put it. Put the game out. That was the last score of the game, 35-21, and then they, they went for two. That's what confused me there. Um, but Favre, let's see what Favre was in that game. Uh, 14-27, 246, two TDs, got sacked five times, rushed for a touchdown. No interceptions. I mean, it's not a terrible game. Yeah, that's that's. Not, I don't. I don't know. I don't know that compared to a guy who who had a kick return. Yeah, he didn't catch a pass. That is weird. Yeah, that's like given the only the other one that I remember too that I thought should have gone the other way, and this isn't to discount the way this individual played in their Super Bowl. Um, but that run that the Baltimore Ravens had, like Ray Lewis's last ride, that kind of yeah, deal. Yeah, yeah. I felt like not only was Anquan Bolden yes. the MVP of that game, but he was the MVP of that run. Hundred percent. So I'm very passionate about Anquan Bolden. But what were you? What were you gonna say? Well, it, and it's not to discount Joe Flacco. Yeah. Like Joe Flacco was absolutely deserving of that award, and it's not to take anything away from him. But like Anquan Bolden. First of all, he was already like in the stage of his career where everyone was like, yeah, he's kind of old and like mm-hmm. he may not be, but he was just a beast in that whole. I almost feel like this is going to dovetail into a bit of a tangent. We should have playoff MVPs like the like the NHL does the Con Smythe and they take yeah. sort of the full body of work into consideration. We should do the same thing with the NFL because like Joe Joe Flacco was fantastic during that run. He absolutely deserved all the accolades that he received. I mean, he he just stepped up. He was throwing for over 300 yards a game, tons of touchdowns, completely prolific offense. So all all credit where credit is due to Joe Flacco. But Anquan Bolden was just the dude mm-hmm. during during that entire run. So I almost feel like we should look at teams and say like 
let's look at the whole body of work. Like let's look at the entire playoff run and then who was who was who would just brought it every single week to will this team to victory. Um, and I felt like Bolden kind of embodies the nature of that point. I totally agree with you. Under we were talking about favorite players too. I had three favorite players um, of like growing up. And the third one I had was Anquan Bolden. I remember I used to get in an argument when I still worked in the newsroom, in the sports, uh, they call them the copy desk and everything like that. In the in the sports newsroom, I would get into debates with other writers and editors because in my opinion, Anquan Bolden is a hall of famer. And this was still at the time where he was, um, where he was still playing. And I got a lot of pushback on that, that like, no, he's not a hall of famer. Shouldn't be in there, but I don't see why he wouldn't. He's one of the toughest wide receivers in my lifetime to play. Um, great. I mean, in his early career, he had speed later in this year. He was one of the, you know, most in, I mean, he would go across the middle run routes. No one else wanted to, he'd make tough catches. I mean, the guy did everything. I am so on board with the, with the Anquan Bolden, um, Super Bowl MVP choice. There. Well, let's, let's, let's actually do this. Let's, look at a compare so i've got anquan bolden's career stats okay. here and and i i mean i totally forgot that he was like he was he played for the 49ers towards the end of his career yeah, he played for um, like 13 years or something like that right yeah he played for um let's see what this gives me from 2003 to 2016 oh ended his career in detroit okay in detroit where if, dude this guy was 36 years old playing for detroit he still had 67 receptions and eight touchdowns that's in his last year. I mean, that's absolute insanity to yep. think about. Um, he won man of the year, I think, when he was with the 49ers. Okay, well, I mean, after Miles Garrett got nominated for that, that kind of lost its luster, right? Well, that's true, yeah. yeah. Um, so, guy played 202 games, um, 1,076 receptions, 13,779 receiving yards, so almost 14,000 receiving yards in his career. Guy played for for 2000 for 13 years. I guess 14 years and he had 14,000 yards. I mean, that's like a thousand, he was averaging a little bit under 1,000 yards a season. 82 touchdowns and he was known as having like a nose, like a red zone wide receiver, yeah. like having a nose for the for the end zone. He's a Super Bowl winner. He should have been a Super Bowl MVP. So let's compare him. And, and he had I'm like gonna, the greatest rookie season for any wide receiver of all time. Yeah, what was his? Let me see. I got it right in front of me. Yeah. His rookie season, he had 101 receptions, <laughs> played all 16 games, 1,377 yards, eight touchdowns again. Yeah, it's out of um, nowhere. And he and he wasn't like a highly drafted player either. I don't believe second I think round. He was pick. like a third, pick, yeah, yeah, second round pick. So he's a three time Pro Bowler, one time Super Bowl championship, um, two thousand three AP Offensive Rookie of the Year, and then twenty fifteen Walter Payton Man of the Year. Twenty fifteen, yeah, he'd been sent with San Francisco. So I'm going to compare him to another to a contemporary who I think a lot of people think are, is probably going to make the Hall of Fame. Um. And that's actually a rival, Heinz Ward. I was going to say Heinz Ward. I figured that's a that's a comp. S- yeah, similar style yep, of games. Um, played both for so Heinz came in nineteen ninety eight. His career ended in two thousand eleven. So about the same time frame. Um, Heinz has one thousand career receptions. He has twelve thousand eighty three yards, 
and 85 touchdowns. And now he's a four-time Pro Bowler. Bolden was a three-time Pro Bowler. He is a two-time Super Bowl champ. Bolden was a one-time Super Bowl champ. But Bolden was a Rookie of the Year, and he should have been, in my opinion, a Super Bowl MVP. Yeah. Um, Hines was a Super Bowl MVP, so that's kind of different. Um, but statistically, Bolden's better than Hines Ward. And I'm not saying Hines Ward shouldn't go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But to pe- for people to push back on Bolden, Bolden's had a much better career, and here, in my opinion. And here's his st- here's his game logs in that uh, championship run: five catches, 145 yards, a touchdown; six catches, 71 yards; five catches, 60 yards, two touchdowns. And the Super Bowl, he had six catches, 104 yards, and a touchdown. I mean, that's wow. outside of Larry Fitzgerald and their run in 2010 to the Super Bowl when they lost the Steelers. Has there been a better? like postseason run from a wide receiver? I, I can't think of one off the top of my head outside of like the Fitzgerald comparison you just made. He's the only one I'd put ahead of him because that one was truly astounding, but that's the only one I can think that's better. Yeah, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Huh. Which is another great memory too. Uh, Fitzgerald catching the slant and taking it to the house um, in the Super Bowl. That That's one of the greatest games of all time. I agree. Just not just for the the sort of last second Ben Roethlisberger to San Antonio Holmes play, but like there were so many storylines that seemed to to be woven into that game. There were so many huge plays, like probably the top, you know, if I had to make a list of top fifteen or top twenty Super Bowl plays, there's at least three of them, and I think two of them are probably in the top. Three top five. Yeah. The James the James Harrison yep. interception return is probably number one in my opinion. The San Antonio Holmes catch is in the top five for me, and the I would say that Larry Fitzgerald slant uh, where he just you know willed himself to victory. I mean that was just one of the craziest and most entertaining, um, just incredible Super Bowls. Um, and and I would say probably the only other one that I can compare in recent memory, oh the Malcolm Butler one. Mm-hmm. And then I would also say the San Francisco, um, and I, I will forever, the San Francisco and Baltimore one, I will forever be confused by why is it that Jim Harbaugh calls a fade There's, route yep. to Michael Crabtree, who had actually a really great run as well, now that I think about it in the playoffs, to, to get San Francisco to that game. But you're throwing a fade route, a low percentage play when when and you're rolling Kaepernick who's a mobile quarterback you're rolling him right you're condensing the field and limiting his ability to be creative one of the one of the worst play calls that not a lot of people talk about in NFL history um I would agree with you there I think we've we both talked about how how poorly that like let those last four downs were handled um in that Super Bowl and in the the in that Cardinal Steelers Super Bowl, the Santonio Holmes catch maybe not in terms of well, maybe if you look at it from just a purely physical feat, I think it's the best catch in NFL history. Like how he was able to catch that and get down with two feet. Now, yeah. I mean, you have the Tyree catch, you have the catch, you have the immaculate reception. Like I get all those are are historically more important to the game, but in terms of a physical feat, I think that Santonio Holmes catch is the best catch 
in NFL history. I'll I'll counter that. There's only one other one that comes to mind. Okay. And that's um, the Julio Jones catch in the mm. Super Bowl against New England. It's true. Because I still can't figure out how he was able to get his other foot back to tap when, like, half of his body was already out of bounds. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm, I'm still fairly certain that Matt Ryan was throwing that ball away. <laughs> and somehow Julio Jones, like, ca- catches it extends himself backwards this will this will be for the atlanta falcons fan who got mad at us because we didn't we gave them a lower win total than he thought but like that that's probably the only other one in terms of pure difficulty um matches up with the san antonio holmes one or the odell beckham one which made his career yeah um that's just just such a fluky like crazy one-handed grab but even the san antonio holmes where he gets hit he has to catch it on his tippy toes. He has to instill how he doesn't how that ball does not bounce out when he hits the ground. I have no idea. It doesn't seem possible to me. Yeah, yeah. I still think I'm going to lean towards the Julio Jones one okay. because I think he jumped over like two dudes to do that. So I'm I'm going to lean towards it. But they're Fair. both they're both like crazy catches. Yeah. Um. So anything else for memory wise? Oh, I have a ton of them here. I have a ton. Give give me a couple of yours. So I have, um, uh, I'm trying to pick things that aren't like, that not everyone is going to know. Like, oh, the helmet catch. Like, of course, we all remember that. But like some obscure ones. Um, Steve Gleason's blocked punt after Katrina. And I, trust me, that kind of shit is, I hate that. It is, um, it's, uh, nausea inducing a lot of the time is like when they give the greater importance to you know these you know whatever but I still think that was a special moment hmm. uh, I have the uh, tuck rule game which I think now feels like I feel like it gets lost more um, because Brady switched teams and you know it's not like the franchise or the dynasty starter I guess or I don't know I just yeah. feel like it's been talked about less since he switched um, Roethlisberger shoe tackle the shoe tackle, yep, yep. That's yep. a great one. I have Dwayne Bowe's 15 touchdown season and how just like a freaking anomaly that was. I mean, no, yeah, Dwayne, zero historical significance to that. But but Dwayne Bowe was the most frustrating wide receiver for any fantasy owner because you just didn't understand. Like he had all the tools and he was always the the number one wide receiver. And he'd have like that anomaly season where he scores 15 touchdowns. And you're like, all right, this is the year for Dwayne Bowe. And then he'd be like, he would just put up paltry stats. And he would, he, he always seemed to have like maybe a dispute with the front office or the coach, or he seemed (laughs) like his personality never really meshed well. And they, the chiefs at that time, you know, everyone's like, oh, Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes. Like, but back then, they had like Brody Croyle. Um, yeah, it was bad. They were the team that, that, that signed Matt Castle after the Brady injury. Um, and that wasn't that the crazy one where, where Mc, Josh McDaniel left New England and signed on to be the head coach of the Denver Broncos. Uh-huh. And he hated Jay Cutler or something. Correct, yep. He he like just didn't Traded like Jay Bears. Cutler. Yep. And but he had proposed a a trade 
I think it was like a three-way trade with Kansas City that would have brought Matt Castle. And it was so weird because it was inner division. Yeah. Like, or I guess intra-division. Like it was between the Chiefs and the Broncos were, were trying to trade. And they had to pull in, I think it was the Bears. So they, so, and this was, yeah. He, um, the Broncos wanted Matt Castle to reunite him with Josh McDaniel. The Chiefs wanted Jay Cutler, and the Bears were somehow involved with it. Hmm. And they they all kind of needed to – they were trying to make the trade work, and for whatever reason it didn't work. And then that year the Broncos went out and they traded Jay Cutler to the Bears, so they cut out, they cut out um, Kansas City. They ended up getting Kyle Orton, and they drafted Tim Tebow. Can anyone teach the the Patriots coaches and players to like work with anyone other than a Patriots coach or player? Like what? Like can these people not make friends? Like outside of who they worked with in the past? Like I don't get I don't it. Know. That's like another trend through my child is just uh, ex Patriot coach head coach fail. Patriot coach gets promoted head coach fail. Patriot coach goes somewhere else fail. Player goes somewhere else fails. Like. And even the GMs, like it was uh, the whole Scott Pioli going to to Kansas City to try to rebuild that roster. And you know what? It was interesting. Belichick has a tendency to give sweeter deals to his friends. Yeah. If you look at the Jimmy Garoppolo situation, Cleveland was the front runner for Jimmy Garoppolo. And uh, in terms of trade, they had had the most quote-unquote draft capital to try to send New England's way and, and a lot more compared to San Francisco. But when Kyle Shanahan um, was hired as their head coach, the, the, the going rate that they, the Patriots got in return for Jimmy Garoppolo was a little bit lower than people thought. And I remember there being stories coming out that the Browns had made a better trade, but I think Belichick had a slight vendetta against Cleveland because that was sort of his original place of where he coached yeah. his first time head coach there. And, um, and the same thing with Kansas city when they traded Matt castle to Kansas city. Um, and there were other suitors for Matt castle. And I think Denver was one of them, but he didn't want to trade to McDaniel. Hmm. So he went and gave it to Scott Pioli. And I'm sure the sycophants in New England right now will say, look what happened. Three years later, Garoppolo, they, can't, they don't like him. They, now they draft Trey Young or Trey, uh, a Trey Lance, and then uh, Mac Jones falls to New England. It was, all Bill, it was all Bill Belichick's big scheme. It was big brain Belichick working five years down the road. There's there's very little difference between the QAnon people and Patriots fans. Yeah, I. They're probably a lot of them are probably one and the same. I know. Well, I'm convinced that Jet, that Patriots fans are Jets fans that were lucky. Like they're the same type of conspiracy. Like just everyone's out to get us. You know the uh, the same type of fan. Only one lucked into a 20 year run, but they're the same people. If the Jets ever win a Super Bowl, it will be like New England. It, it'll it'll be the same thing. They're the same people. Um, yeah, th- that's why God doesn't let them win. <laughs> that's true. I have another memory for you. This is one of my all time favorites, and this will be sure if you're ever having a bad day, watch this me- watch this clip, and you will laugh. It is Matt Hasselbeck 
we want the ball and we're going to score oh immediately throws a pick six <laughs> in Lambeau Field. It's fucking incredible. Pardon my French. It is incredible. <laughs> to Al Harris. To Al Harris. Just It's like a 30-yard pick six. What flips oh, it. my goodness. So for anyone who doesn't know, um, you know, it was, I forget, was it the championship? It must have been a division. Uh, or was it the champion? No, it wasn't the championship one where they played the Steelers. It had to have been a divisional round. It it was a divisional round game. I think it was. Um, I think Green Bay went on to play. Oh man, who would that have been? Who would have been really good in the was NFC? Was that the Giants? I think that was the Giants' year. No, no, yeah. no, no. No, I'm kidding. I I'm I bet you. Before before you look it up, let me theorize. Okay. Let me see if my if my brain can do this. Okay. So. That was before Hasselbeck ever went to a Super Bowl, I think. So it would have been before 2005, would have been before the Steelers Super Bowl. I bet that year Green Bay went on to play Philadelphia. Maybe it was the Philadelphia New England Super Bowl, or it was the the year that Carolina played New England in the Super Bowl. Okay. That's that I, I'm I'll say it's one of those two. I could be wrong. Okay, let's see. Oh, 2003 wild card game. So, what was the Super Bowl matchup in 2003? Would have been no, that wasn't it. Um, no, it would have been Panthers. Panthers. Patriots. Panthers. Patriots. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So, never mind. Disregard. Because I the think. Last let minute. me. Let me see if I can do this. I think. I think Green Bay would have had to have gone on to play Philly. I think Philly was probably the other team, and yes, I'm fairly yes, certain. So it was the wild card round. Yes, Green Bay won yeah. to play Philly, and then Car- that Philly beat them, and then the game was in Philly. And who did Carolina beat? Carolina was Rams the other high seed. The Rams. the Rams. They beat the Rams. Yeah. Yeah. So any. Okay. So anyways, it was the wild card game in Lambeau Field. Uh, it goes to overtime, and. Because the Seahawks are the visitors, they get to call the coin flip. This is still at the time where first points in overtime wins the game. And they tell Hasselbeck to call it in the air, and he says, These say tails or heads. I can't remember. Or but they ask they win the coin toss and they ask which way or what do they want? Do they want to defend? Which way do they want to defend? Or do they want the ball? You know, defer whatever. And he goes, We want the ball and we're gonna score. And I think like within four plays, he throws a pick six. Yeah, it was it was the first series, and the NFL then had the old like it was a, it was the old sudden death rule. Yeah, first points win. You, you yeah you could go down and kick a field goal, and like that was that was the end of the game. Um, yeah, that was epic. He's so that hateable. Was Matt Hasselbeck's so hateable too. It was perfect. He was back then too. He always seemed to have like that that weirdly arrogant personality. I'm sure he's actually a nice guy, but like some dudes when they play football, like they're different people on and off the field. Um, and I think he definitely had a lot of that going on. What the ball we're going to score immediate pick yeah. six. Um, yeah, there was, there was such a weird like concept that happened in the late, late nineties, early two thousands where you had like the Rams won a super bowl. Mm-hmm. They had that, that epic game with the, the Kevin, Kevin Dyson reach play where yeah. he was like literally in, you know, half foot short of the goal line. And everyone loved the Rams. Like the Rams were the darling and they were the underdog. And Kurt Warner was this amazing story. Um, by the way, the, the, 
pictures of that Terrible. movie that are coming oh, out God. look really bad. I hope it's a good movie for Kurt Warner's sake. I, Kurt Warner is one of my favorite quarterbacks of all time. Um, and But amazing story. I hope the movie's good, but I'm, I, I'm not so, so sure. Um, doesn't look great in my opinion. But so you had that weird thing where like, at least in, in my echo chamber, like my little world, it was the Rams won a Super Bowl. I love Kurt Warner. He won MVP. He's the underdog story. He's a guy that was bagging groceries and all that stuff. And then like literally the next season, it was the Rams and the Patriots. And it was, oh, Tom Brady, what a story. The Rams are a powerhouse. And I'm rooting for the Patriots because they're the underdog. And then right after that one, and I think like Tampa Bay and 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 um, Oakland played at one point in the middle of this somewhere. But then you had you had um, Carolina, who was this upstart franchise started in 1995, playing the Patriots, who had won a Super Bowl, and then they were the dynasty, the the you know the the Goliath to David. Um, and man, the pan- that was one of the best, most underrated Super Bowls. If you go back and watch, that was such a good, entertaining game. And what what I can never figure out, I, going back to watch it, is uh, same thing with the Rams when when Tom Brady led that comeback. All those Adam Vinatieri kicks. Brady, they just sent guys downfield. Their their four wides downfield, and they singled. Their running back, which I think was like Kevin Falk at the time, mm-hmm. or there's probably another name that I'm missing, and they just put him in single single coverage against a linebacker, and Brady dink and dunked, and he got his running back who was fairly shifty one on one with a linebacker, and that's how they drove their way down the field, and those defensive coordinators for both the Rams and the Panthers never figured it out. Yep. And that goes back to, we've talked about this before, but just the lack of creativity and flexibility in coaching staffs nowadays and how to scheme players for the best position, it was like even worse back then. Um, like you did certain things in certain in certain uh, scenarios and situations, and there was no flexibility like like that. You know, they were probably like, oh, play the boundaries, play deep, nothing over your head. Meanwhile, Kevin Falk's catching you know four passes for you know eight yards apiece. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, uh, that that old school prevent defense yep. that was so prominent during that during the the time frame that we're talking about, and. And I think, feel like teams started to move away from it, like in the in the 2010s. Mm-hmm. They realized, like, hey, this is kind of dumb. We're just, like, handing over yards. That Super Bowl, to me, felt like it was over. And I posted this on Twitter uh, a couple weeks back, and I got a little pushback on it, uh, about when Musin Muhammad caught that long touchdown pass from DeLome. That, it felt, to me, the game felt over watching it then, and there was six minutes left. And I feel like today a team scores with six minutes left, you're expecting the other team to get the ball like two more times. Like yeah. I felt like before it was six minutes left, you score your head. That's you get the other team gets like one more shot. But I feel like the game has changed. And other people were saying, no, no, we knew they were and you know, I feel like a little bit that's just hindsight. But when he caught that long touchdown in that Super Bowl, I felt like the game was over. Yeah. Yeah. It and it it it's such a different game too, because you know, and, and again, some of these things still 
still hold true. Like run the football, play good defense. That's how you win championships. Sure. But the game has changed so much to be uh, much more of a passing league. And now teams just don't take the time off the clock like they used to. Mm -hmm. Clock management is really poor in the modern NFL. Um, by comparison to the way people manage the clock in the in the late you know late nineties you know up to twenty ten, um, and I feel like the coaching also like the quality of the game. I feel like the coaching has really deteriorated um, since sort of the heyday when we used to watch it. And I don't know if I sound I sound like a boomer. Well, I was where I'm like, say like, what do you mean by? Because I think in some aspects, yes. And I think in other aspects, it's gotten a lot better. Like, what do you I think, like coaching? I think. There's a lack of creativity. Yeah, I would agree with that. A complete lack of creativity. Um, I think everybody is running sort of the same offense. Um, and I also feel like there's a lack of common sense when it comes to like play calling. I've, I've seen more teams on third and one lining up in five wides in since 2015 than I've ever seen in my entire life. And not to say like... But there's just things that, that there's common sense things that teams do that are just really stupid. Like it's third and one. Why are you in five wide? Why don't you at least leave disguise a back it, in yep. or disguise it or or the teams that like there's certain coaches and I'll call out like Pete Carroll, like the raw rock coaches like Pete Carroll, Mike Tomlin, Ron Rivera. Not to say these guys are bad coaches, but you know when it's third and one, like at a certain stage of the game, they just want to outmuscle. Like they want to prove that their team can outmuscle the other team. And they line up in this like, you know, the 50 yard line in the, in the goal line formation. And, you know, I with, with, with a nose tackle as a fullback and you know what they're going to do. There's no, there's no strategy. There's no trying to, to outsmart. There's no chess playing. And, they try to do that kind of stuff. So like there's, there's just formationally, I think they don't do very intelligent things and, and the play calling, I don't think is always great. Um, and then you get into the things like where I talked about with like Mike McCarthy and Andy Reed, where they've got their bread and butter plays and they rely on that all the time. Mm -hmm. And, but on the flip side, like the Cowboys and, and chiefs are one of the, probably two of the more prolific offenses in the league. And an average fan can see strategically what they're doing all the time. So if I've got a defense coordinator in a press box staring at the field, he should be able to see what I'm seeing on my couch. And he should be able to adjust his defense accordingly. Correct. So it's like on both ends of the, end of the spectrum, they're just not as good. Because the one thing I, I think that it has gotten better with is technique for players and knowledge of the game. I feel like players... And I don't know. This is what I feel like players are smarter. Maybe not as situationally aware, but overall understand the game better than they did when we were growing up. I guess. Like I feel like you had a lot of players back there. It was like, hey, we're just gonna give this guy the ball and he's gonna run around, like Larry Johnson. You know, not saying anything mm -hmm. bad against Larry Johnson, but I felt like it was it's more cerebral now than it was before. And I think the players are as a whole smarter, have some better technique, more refined technique. But yes, I totally agree with you on the creativity part. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Larry um, Johnson, that's a name. Yeah, I know, right? Um, so I have, a, I, have, I have a couple other uh, moments for you. Butt fumble. Every, one of the funniest moments I've ever had watching football is the butt fumble. That was my fantasy defense that week. 
I picked him up. Can everyone, so you loved that was it even amazing. more. Oh, it was the best, the best fantasy defense performance anyone's ever had. And we, I've been playing that for 18 years. <laughs> um, I had raw, uh, or speaking of Thanksgiving, RG3's Thanksgiving Day gaming. It's the Cowboys. One of the yep. most fun times I've ever had watching football. I don't know why it was just. It seems so smooth and easy for him that game. Oh, he he. I don't know. There's a couple quarterbacks that that I can kind of think back through history that I just go. Man, if he would have just been in a different situation or if there just wouldn't have been some of the injuries or a myriad of factors that you can probably throw in that, that oh, there are just some guys that the NFL missed out on because they were just in crap situations. It's going to be unfortunate that RG3... Uh, careers like lost to history because I don't know if you remember that first game. I think they, he was playing the Saints. And yeah, like New his, Orleans. Yeah, and his first pass was like a seventy-five yard touchdown pass, and then he then he completed like twelve straight passes, and it was like, what the? How is the NFL going to stop this guy? Yeah. Um, and people are going to forget that's going to be lost to history in a matter of ten years. You know, unless yeah, he goes it, on TV. And it's it's crazy to think about, but. You go back, and I've made this point, um, but we, our, our viewership has increased quite a bit from the, from the first episode that we ever did. Yes. Um, but I made this point when we did sort of our quarterback evaluations many moons ago, and just the way teams, some teams, try to protect the quarterback and try to really manage their franchise quarterback now is so different than it was like going back to like, Ryan Leaf or David Carr, Joey Harrington, um, guys like RG3. I mean, there's like a whole process to how you bring on a young quarterback and how you take care of them and try to surround them with a good offensive line and make sure they have a run game. And and I'm going to use the term coddle. I don't mean it like a negative connotation, but none of those other guys got that. Like Joey Harrington got thrown to the wolves behind a garbage offensive line, no wide receivers, no running game, terrible defense, like awful franchise. Like this dude was never going to succeed. I would, I would actually put the same thing for, for David Carr. And I think they, they get incorrectly labeled as bus because of how mismanaged they were as, as quarterbacks coming into the league. Because I, I, truly believe and there were a couple games and Harrington's the guy that I'll kind of hone in on here but Joey Harrington coming out of Oregon um and he's actually one of the reasons we talked about like Justin Herbert like ooh Oregon Ohio State quarterbacks don't work until they do yep right until they actually work um but Joey Harrington kind of was like the forerunner of of the Oregon quarterbacks can't play in the NFL thing perpetuated by Marcus Mariota who I also think was mismanaged um but Joey Harrington, late in his career, he did a stint in New Orleans with Sean Payton as a backup quarterback to Drew Brees. He got some spot starts and, and played, I think, either because Brees was hurt or like, you know, the week, week 16, 17 game where they had secured a playoff birthday and want to get Brees hurt, mm-hmm. where he looked really, really good. And he went to Atlanta and he had a few games in Atlanta where he looked really good. Um, and there are a lot of guys like that in this league that were just mismanaged and their whole careers just kind of fall by the wayside. And it's really like wasted talent because they were, they were stuck in the muck and mire of a 
of a trash franchise. Yep. You're right. We talked about that when we were discussing the quarterbacks for this year's draft, and we made the point that skill or the situation is almost almost as important as the skill of the player in their first few years. Like if you know if um, if Justin Fields and Zach Wilson switch, does that make any difference? If Lamar Jackson and Sam Darnold switch in their year, does that I mean, that makes a huge difference in each of their respective careers? Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, the other moment I want to throw out, or a couple other ones, Music City Miracle. Was it a pass? Was it just real quick because it's a popular one? But was it a pass? Uh, was it a forward pass or was it a lateral? What's your opinion? Oh, the Music City Miracle. I always looked at that and I just thought it was a little bit forward. You think so? Okay. I've always felt that way. It doesn't mean that I should, you know, listen when it comes to the it's a game of inches i'm not gonna say that you know tennessee didn't deserve to win that game or whatever or you know i'm not trying to piss off two fan bases here um (laughs) but but it always looked a little forward to me do you think if they had a replay back then or they could check on that do you think it would have been overturned like if that same play happens today is it overturned i have a feeling that it is and that would be interesting because that would have sent buffalo to the was that the AFC Championship game? Uh, yes, I think. Uh, no, no, it couldn't have. I don't know. I'm trying to think no who idea. Tennessee beat to get to the to the Super Bowl. What teams would have been good around that time frame? Maybe it was the Raiders or the Ravens. Could be another one. I don't know. Um, there, there was the AFC Championship game where Tennessee did play Baltimore, which is old AFC Central rivals. Yes. And um, back with what five teams a division? Yeah, and McNair threw a pass to Eddie George, and George bobbled it, and Ray Lewis picked it off and took it to the house, and I think that sent the Ravens to the 2000 Super Bowl. It was a wild card game. Music City Miracle was the wild card game. Wild card game. Yeah. Wild card game. Yeah. I feel like the way the his I think it was what Kevin Dyson uh, the way his body was or was it Derek Mason? I can't remember. I should look that up. Uh, I think it was Kevin Dyson. Dyson. Yeah, it was Dyson. Um, the way his body was, I feel like it makes it look forward. But I think it, I don't know. Um, it's every way you watch it, you could come away with a different opinion. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those mysteries of the world. Um, but remember, it's it's funny, like those old school divisions. We we're so used to like the North and South and all those other things, yep. but like the NFL divisions used to be an absolute cluster. <laughs> yes, they had like the Saints in the in the NFC West, and so they had to play the Saints were in the NFC West and they had to travel to play San Francisco. Uh, who else would have been out there? So here were the, uh, here were the divisions. Um, so wasn't Arizona in the East? Yes. Arizona was, it was the NFC East plus Arizona in like 1990. It was the Cowboys, Washington, the Eagles, the Giants and the Arizona Cardinals, in the NFC East. What what drunk monkey figured that out? <laughs> I don't know. That New Orleans is somehow further west than Arizona. And then the NFC Central was Bears, Buccaneers, Lions, Packers, Vikings. Um, the AFC was the Colts, Jets, Pats, Dolphins, Bills. The AFC Central was the Bengals, Titans, Steelers, Browns. And then the AFC West was Raiders, Chiefs, Seahawks. Chargers, Broncos. I'm just using 1990s as an example. Yeah. Uh, Seahawks in the AFC West. That's 
bonkers. Yeah, which was why like there was actually it was actually a rival. You don't often get like a rivalry Super Bowl, but like the one where Seattle played Denver was actually kind of like a rivalry <laughs> Super Bowl, um, which is kind of interesting. I I, I kind of liked, um, and it's funny now that I think about it because Jacksonville in Tennessee, who was originally in Houston as the Oilers, got added to the they got added to the Central as well. So the Central, the AFC Central, had like two more teams than everybody else. They didn't, they didn't disperse them amongst like other divisions. Yeah. So I'm pulling up 1998 now for an example. So in the AFC, yeah, Jags, Titans, Steelers, Ravens, Bengals, in the AFC central 1998. That's so crazy. Okay. And there was like one division. I think it was the West, the AFC West that just had like the chargers, the Raiders, the Broncos and the chiefs. So only had like four, no, they all had five at this time, I think. Let me see. Okay. Yeah, they all had five because the Panthers were in Panthers were in the NFC West. Falcons, Falcons, 49ers, Saints, Panthers, and Rams were in the NFC West. Atlanta. How, how does that work? Atlanta, New Orleans, and Carolina were considered West. That makes <laughs> no sense to me. <laughs> Who was the commissioner? Everyone's complaining about Roger Goodell and look at Paul Tagliabue and his crap track record. Literally throwing darts on a map and just like, this is, you know, I don't know. Who gives a shit? Oh, my gosh. That's terrible. Um, That's so terrible. Well, speaking of sideline passes at the end of the game, do you remember? This is another funny one to me. The Marcus Colston forward pass. the end of It's like a regular season game, like a mean nothing game. Do you remember that by any chance? Are you talking about the one where New Orleans spent the? It was New Orleans and Jacksonville. Yes. And and they they did the, the no not the miss kick one. That is a great one though too. No, I'm I was going to the miss kick oh, one. Oh, go to yeah, the I'm miss kick sure. one. That one's good. That one's good too. Oh, the the miss kick one. So <laughs> so so you YouTube this, but you, our listeners are probably just like laughing with nostalgia right now. If our our Gen Zs need to go TikTok it. <laughs> yes. Um, but. But when New Orleans does this crazy fumble rooski kind of deal, like uh, the, all the laterals, like all that kind of stuff, they end up scoring. And I, it, I, I don't know the specific numbers, but I think it was like twenty four to to twenty three or something. Um, after after New Orleans had scored, so all they had to do was kick the extra point. And this was when the extra point was like an automatic. It was at the I think they placed two the ball at the two yard line, so it ends up being a seventeen yard kick, and. Um, the I don't remember who the kicker was. You're gonna need to look that up for me, but he just shanks this bad boy <laughs> like way. I think it's wide right. Uh, the only one that I've ever seen worse is gonna dovetail into another one. Is the Blair Walsh? Oh man, Minnesota Vikings versus the um the Seattle Seahawks one. Oh, that was terrible. That's incredible. The um. I think the Jaguar. I think the Jaguars is funnier the Saints Jaguars one because it was like the announcers. If you listen to it, even assumed that it was going to overtime, like it was already done, and yeah. at least there was some anticipation with the Blair Walsh one. But the 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 everyone the sideline thought they were preparing for overtime, you know, and then just missed game over, like all of it just done. I, I have the to, other. I think that's go ahead, a, go ahead. I was gonna say maybe was that Josh Scobie? It could have been Josh Scobie. I'm gonna look that up right now. So keep talking. The the other Jaguars one that I remember is 
when there David Garrard was the quarterback, and David Garrard had like a quietly really good career um, for a guy that sort of came out of nowhere. Um, so mad props to David Garrard for just I feel like I should do that. Um, but they were playing the Texans in Jacksonville, close game, and they did the hail mary, and there was the prevailing knowledge at that time. The NFL was don't tip the ball up because that's going to give you an opportunity, the receiver, the offensive player, an opportunity to, to catch the ball off a batted ball or something. And the, the Texans guy did exactly what he should have done. And he like just pulverized this ball, like, like volleyball spikes it right into Cecil Shorts's hands. No, or was it Mike Sims Walker? Mike Sims Walker. Yes. Yes. Mike, Sims Walker and Mike Sims Walker just like like scoots into the end zone and it was like what are you supposed to do with that like that was that was a crazy one too so I looked it up about the Saints Jags um the kicker for new for the Saints was John Carney and the thing I'm surprised about most is there's an actual name for this play like I don't know that maybe the Jaguars fans named it I have no idea it's like a a week 14 or 15 who gives a shit game against a seven and seven and four and ten team? Yeah. If you had to guess what the name of this play is, what do you think it's called? Just if you had to guess. Uh it's like doesn't make I don't know, it's so weird. So it's gotta be about the kick, right? The kick is the kick is what won the game, so it's <laughs> no, gotta be like no, wide right or something. No. It's River City Relay. Is Jacksonville known as the River City? I don't think so. I don't. <laughs> I do know there's a big river that goes through it, but I mean, maybe I have no idea. Oh, and I'm, now I'm gonna look this up. This whole episode has just sent me down like a freaking rabbit hole. Yeah, this is this has become quite a thing. I guess River City is like a thing in Jacksonville. River, I see like River City Marketplace, River City Place. Interesting. I had no idea Jacksonville, nickname River City. Yeah, I've never been, but. Good for you guys. I drove I through it once moving to Miami. Um, but the the game I was thinking of was, uh, and it wasn't the Jags, it was the Seahawks. Pardon. It was, a you know, uh, it was the Saints Seahawks. They were down by seven, and it was third and two with 13 seconds left. Drew Brees throws it to Marcus Colston, who catches it on the sideline like the like the 36 yard line and could just step out of bounds. You have another shot at the end zone. You know, you go live another day. Instead, he turns back in the middle of the field and just throws a pass, like not even close to a lateral, (laughs) just throws a legitimate forward pass. He's at like the 39 when he throws it. The ball hits the ground to 34 across the field, like just a straight forward pass. And the flags come down. Everyone just kind of like stops like, oh yeah, I guess, guess you fucked that up. Um, that's insane that's another all-time moment for me um, i have i have one okay f- I, I feel like one i feel like we, we I, i've caught a little bit of flack on twitter from a particular vikings fan <laughs> who's a loyalist to the show and and i feel bad and the reason i feel bad is because i feel like the perception because i said the vikings were going to win six games this year is that i don't like the vikings or i may have a vendetta against the vikings I actually very much like the Vikings. And one of my favorite football stories um, does come from Minnesota. And so I thought this would be a fun one to kind of like share. Okay. So this is probably 2014 timeframe. I go to a conference for work 
Um, it was a trade show, sort of one of those types of deals. So I'm just out of college. I, I'm a sales rep, go to some you know trade show for whatever reason because the company thought we should go. I don't know. And it's in, it's in Minnesota at the convention center. But it started randomly on a Sunday. And I fly in early on the Sunday and there's, um, we decide we're going to go grab breakfast at like a local sports bar or pub or whatever. So we're walking down the street. We find this, this, this pub and we're like, let's jump in there. I think it was like an English pub. I don't know the name of it. I can't give them any free press. I, I, I've searched <laughs> for it. Maybe this is just happening in my dreams. I'm not entirely sure. But I walk in and there's a soccer match playing um, and it's jam packed and full of people. And they've got like this big um, thing of like grits and blood sausage and all this English kind of food. And I was like, I was like, this place is wild. The food was great. Um, People are just drinking, carousing, having a good time. We grabbed a couple of beers and and our our like they had like breakfast beers that you can. It was okay. amazing, and you know we're just hanging out and everyone's wearing red, and it's a Sunday, so and it's in probably middle of October, so it's football season, and everyone's wearing red, and I don't know what um, soccer team is red. Um, whatever this apparently this bar had something to do with red so they're watching the game they're drinking having a good time like this is a really good vibe like it's a cool atmosphere i'm not huge into soccer but it it, it was fun right it was cool talking to people these were all like authentic minnesotans these weren't like british like a weird british sect of minnesota and the game ends at noon so the soccer game ends at noon i go to the bathroom i come out and i see people taking off their red shirt. Almost everybody in the bar takes off their red shirt and they've got Vikings gear underneath. (laughs) So these lunatics that I respect more than anybody I can, any group of people that I can potentially think of go get wasted for a soccer game, have a a beer brunch, and then they just take off their, their other Jersey, have their Vikings gear. And they just stayed there and they were there. I think the Vikes played at like central time. It would have been probably noon. And they were there all the way through like five, six o'clock, just like after the game, they hung out. One of the best experiences I ever had was just chilling in a random Minnesota bar. That's awesome. And it was just so much fun. And I, I actually came out of that. I was born and raised a Steelers fan. I came out of that and I was like, I can probably pick an NFC team, right? I feel like that's safe yeah. as long as they don't play each other in the Super Bowl. It's like yep. the Vikings are now my NFC team. All right. But now I'm I'm a part of the sports media and I have to be objective in my thoughts. I think you've already been excommunicated by one of them. I may have been, yeah. That's a, that's a good Minnesota Sunday, though. I feel like that's, that's like the, the standard uh, schedule. It was, a, it was a freaking blast, and those people... I'll give I'll give shout outs. I've I've been to certain cities on a football Sunday. Um I'll give a shout out to Pittsburgh. Um Pittsburgh fans, not the most intelligent, but they're they're diehards, right? Yes. Cleveland fans the worst. For a long time they kind of knew that they sucked, right? And they would just but they just kind of were diehards. Minnesota fans are great. Really anywhere with bad weather. Those people don't have anything else to do. Mm-hmm. So it's just all about football for them. Um, and I don't know. 
I enjoy those blue collar towns. Great. Try going to a football game in Miami. It's a nightmare. Oh, it's terrible. It's uh, if you go to a September game, you're going to end up leaving Sunburnt, um, which I don't yeah. know if you can say anywhere else. Maybe Tampa. Any other moments? Because I want to talk about players too, individual let's players. Jump in, let's jump into players. Let's jump into players. So not obscure players. We'll, we'll get to the obscure players in a second. Favorite just players in general from growing up. I already told, I already said one with Anquan Bull, and I have two more all time uh, favorites. But what, what, um, what about you? Favorite player or players? Oh, favorite player or players. Can't be well-known. Um, doesn't have to be. Oh, there's one guy that just jumped to the top of my mind. Um, uh, Keaton McCardell. Ooh, nice. That's a, Keaton that's McCardell. a That was a dude who like real handy to have on a fantasy roster. And I think he did did the bulk of his damage in Jacksonville and and back in the old AFC Central, which was organized by uh, you know random drunk monkey. Um, <laughs> Jacksonville just like for whatever reason had Pittsburgh's number, and Mark Brunel. That's a, that's a great name to bring up here. Mark Brunel was just a maestro with Jimmy Smith and Keenan McCardell, mm-hmm. uh, but McCardell was really really productive. Um, in Jacksonville, I think he did a stint in Tampa Bay and he did a, a stint in San Diego and he was pretty productive wherever he went. Um, and he was one of those dudes that like at the wide receiver position, I don't think was one of the biggest guys or one of the fastest no. guys. Um, but he could just find ways to get open and he used to shred, um, Chad Scott, who was Pittsburgh's like worst quarter of all <laughs> yeah, it's time. terrible. Was, and an asshole too. Always, I hear. Sorry, Chad. For I, this thing. I don't. I don't know anything about that, but I will say <laughs> that he used to get shredded by Keenan McCardell um, whenever they played Pittsburgh. So yeah, Keenan. Keenan's a good one for me. Uh, but what's what? Give me one of yours. It, we'll go back and forth. Is there any doubt that this couldn't be one of them? It is the action Jackson, Mister Stephen Jackson. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, so a lot of people think I started rooting for the Rams, the greatest show on turf. Not true. It was when in two, my early 2000s fantasy football dynasty was pretty much built entirely around Steven Jackson. Um, and that's when I really started rooting for the Rams is that those years where they sucked. Um, though if Steven Jackson was on any other team or any other situation, he would – I think be up there. He would have the stats, but also the notoriety to be up there with like the Adrian Peterson for like the like running back of our generation. Uh, I mm. loved, I loved the guy. He, there are like two distinct games that sticks out that stick out into my mind. And if you want to, if you don't know who I'm talking about, he took over as the running back right after Marshall Falk, I think retired. I don't think he went anywhere else when he retired. Oregon State, gigantic, like 6'3 running back, and he wanted to kill you when he ran. Two plays, or the two games, the one against the Detroit Lions when it was the the toilet bowl, it was the Rams. I don't think they'd won a game yet. I don't think, or maybe they had one win, the Lions had zero. And it was a terrible game, but Steven Jackson just would run he was running so hard he would not lose that game he did not want to be a winless team in the nfl and i respect players like that who have that kind of desire and and they actually 
have the passion, they care about, you know, their legacy, how they're perceived, things like that. That's one game. That Lions-Rams game where he ran all over them, it was, like, not just an angry running. It was, like, a desperation running, which I haven't seen many times in the NFL. The other play, the singular play that sticks out, is he was playing the – they were playing against the Bengals. The Rams were in Cincinnati. And he takes – I don't know if it was a catch. It might have been a catch uh, down the sideline, 30-some yards. And I forget which safety it was. They're, like, running. He's running. The Bengals' safety is, like, grabbing him, and they're running together. Like, he can't bring him down. But yeah. he's still, like, running with him. And Jackson is just open hand punching his face mask just with his offhand, just pu- down the sideline for like 15 yards before he finally gets pushed out. But I never saw someone just take their offhand as a running back and not just stiff arm, but like repeatedly open hand punch the, the opposing player. Um, that's just how he was. Um, I freaking love that guy. I think my all-time favorite player um, – uh, from growing up with Steven Jackson. That's crazy. Yeah, I remember he was he was a vicious runner. Vicious. And he was just um I mean he was a he was a he was a man among boys in most cases. Um but the one the one that I remember uh contemporary, well maybe a little bit before Steven Jackson was uh Work Done. Oh, nice. Yeah, Work Done Work Done was the first um the first running back for fantasy purposes who had all of his uh, touchdowns vultured by um, Mike Allstott. <laughs> and, but he, he would, he would do all the work and he would get, he would um, get Tampa Bay down into the red zone and all they would do, they had a pretty solid offensive line. They would just hand the ball to Mike Allstott and he would dive his, you know, his white number 40 over the, over the goal line. And, and he would just vulture touchdowns, um, which is funny. I think I remember him so much because um, my dad was probably the one who kind of got Bill and I into fantasy football. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad had played for years and years. And he, he was a forerunner of the, the stacking running backs. Okay. So he would draft always like he would draft work done and he would draft Mike Allstott and he would just, he would just collect points for who, you know, whoever scored the touchdown. Right. Cause Tampa Bay was a really good team back then. Um, but yeah, I always remember work done. Uh, I always remember getting like frustrated for maybe the years my dad didn't have Mike Allstott. They're like, why are they giving the ball to Mike Allstott? We need to get, we need to get, um, you know, work a touchdown. He like his touchdown numbers were always significantly lower than they should have been uh, for running backs that were that were sort of like him. Um, but he was he was a pretty good dude. I think he was like a you know I don't know if they did the man of the year thing back then, but I feel like he should have won it. He does like yeah, he's the, a great guy. It builds homes for homeless people and seems like a pretty all around good dude. Um, and Tampa Tampa had just come out of that that sort of resurgent area or era where they were the creamsicles and then they got the brand new silver and silver and scarlet um, or pewter or whatever, whatever they call that. I don't know. And, um, and they were like the new sort of hip and cool team um, because they had the innovative jerseys, which maybe we can talk about how jerseys have gotten so much worse since that, that era of time. I, I always I feel like I always remember work done being durable too for such a small guy. I could be wrong in that. I'm not sure. No, I think you're right. I don't I don't recall him ever being hurt for any significant length of time. The um 
the other person that I want to just did my third one here, favorite player. And it's probably, it's probably the most unpopular sports opinion that I have. And I firmly believe um, it's Peyton Manning. And I view him as the greatest quarterback of all time. I'm starting to waver on that. And I'll tell you why, but to me, collecting hardware is one thing, but I think changing the game is a whole other area of legacy and greatness. And Peyton Man, yes, he has doesn't have the hardware that Brady does in terms of Super Bowls, yeah. but he changed the game in the early 2000s. How plays were called, what forma- what base formations were, um, how you audibled, uh, what how much control the quarterback had at the line. Like he changed everything how often how often they teams threw the ball in what mm-hmm. situations teams threw the ball how teams had to defend he single-handedly and changed that then you had the breeze and the Roethlisberger. you know they all came after him but he originally changed the game and i'm starting to waver on that because i think if brady leaving i see brady changed the game now at this point not necessarily on the field but he's changing it in terms of how long people can perceive they can play, and he's changing it in terms of the control that quarterbacks think they should have of a roster construction. And if the I call it the Brady effect, if that continues, I think then he will have changed the game as much or not more than Manning. I'll have to revise my opinion. But as of right now, I would still consider Peyton Manning the greatest quarterback of all time, and he's one of my all-time favorite players too. Yeah, I have a I have a similar take about a different quarterback. Okay. Um, and I think I think you and I have probably discussed this, so you may not be surprised when I go here. Um, and, and and I am of the opinion that that Tom Tom is the best quarterback we've ever had in the league. Hey, you don't um, have to apologize. Don't don't apologize for your opinion. Don't genuflect at the altar of the fanboys in New England. No, no, no. I I legitimately believe that about Tom. I just I just do um, because you, I'm kind of trying to bring in this all encompassing because it's it's I'm I'm going against what I hate so much, or I'm kind of going with what I hate okay. so much about like the MVP thing um, where it's like, it's team success plus individual accomplishment, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I think that's where Brady falls into this weird spectrum. Cause like you can't argue with the hardware and you also can't argue that like he had the incredible season where he broke Manning's passing touchdown record. He's been great everywhere. He's gone. Um, He's won Super Bowls of multiple franchises. Uh, he's been just the most decorated quarterback there is in the game. Does that necessarily mean like his skill set is the best ever? No. Um, but but I you have to kind of give him some props for that. But if I look at a guy that I think was stuck in a pretty trash franchise and had players and quarterbacks specifically had more um, influence over the entire organization. Like we talk about, um, like when Tom Brady went to Tampa, Tom Brady made them compete. He had them go out and sign people. He had influence over front office decisions. And Tampa Bay handed him the reins to kind of make this into what he wanted alongside Bruce Arians. You know, Russell Wilson, we talk about Aaron Rodgers, like, but even look at these young kids, like the Bengals drafted Jamar Chase because of Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. The Dolphins drafted Jalen Waddle because of Tua. Yeah. Um, you know, these quarterbacks went to their front office and said, like, you, you literally married all these old quarterbacks with their wide receivers in this draft. 
These front offices are listening to these players. But the guy who I think his career could have been drastically different in this kind of era where he he would have had influence is Dan Marino. Totally. Totally agree. I mean, just on raw skill set, um, and, and Peyton's a really good comparison to Dan, but I think Dan, from a physical tool standpoint, was far and above Peyton Manning. Peyton was a little bit more cerebral, but yes. Dan was just out of this world. His release was like lightning. I mean, the guy, the guy could just sling it. He was smart. He could read defenses. But he never had solid wide receivers. He never had top-tier talent. He never had a great offensive line. He never played with a really good defense. This is a guy that carved up the 85 Bears. Mm-hmm. Only loss of that entire season for them was to the Dan Marino-led Dolphins. Um, and that and was I like a big game for them because they were defending the legacy of the 72 Dolphins. Because if not, they thought right. you know the Bears were going to run the table and it'd be two undefeated teams. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and I think Dan in different circumstances, like imagine, you know, trans transpose all the players, all the teams exactly the same as they were, but move them into this era. Dan is probably going and asking for trades. Dan's probably pushing the front office to sign certain people. Uh Dan's threatening to leave and and one of the things what what would have happened, and maybe this is an idea for, for potential future episodes, what would have happened if Pittsburgh would have drafted Dan Marino? Because yep. if you remember, when Dan Marino went to his only Super Bowl where they lost to the 49ers, um, who did they beat in the AFC Championship game to get there? It was the Pittsburgh Steelers, the last uh, last AFC Championship game that Chuck Knoll made. So imagine just take Dan Marino off that Dolphins team and put him on that Pittsburgh team and have him play in Pittsburgh for uh, the years that Bill Cowher lost to the San Diego Chargers in the AFC Championship game, uh, the year they played the Cowboys in the Super Bowl, the year they lost to Denver, they lost to Denver, I think, twice, twice. in the AFC Championship game. And then all of a sudden, you, you're setting up um, towards the end of his career, matching up against Tom Brady, leading up into the Ben Roethlisberger era. Um, so that 2001 playoff game, uh, championship game, where um, uh, Drew Bledsoe, on, um, when Brady had got hurt for maybe like half a quarter or something, yep. came in, they beat the Steelers in 2001 with Cordell Stewart. Take Cordell Stewart off that team and put Dan Marino on it. I mean, what would that have looked like for the city of Pittsburgh? I don't know if Marino would have won that game. At the end, he looked kind of washed at the end. Maybe, maybe. The years before, I'm, I'm, I'll give you all those years before. Yeah, the years, the years before. The that. years before. But 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 imagine him with Jerome Bettis in the backfield, oh, yeah. with that offensive line. Um Man, and he, they they could have competed. And he did demand kind of some of that stuff, but it was a different area and era, and he was just considered difficult to coach and you know kind of a problem child or a complicated fella, as owners would say today. But yeah, yeah, it was like a different era, and they didn't they didn't have that much say, and he ruffled feathers in Miami for it. Yeah, I mean there was there was a lot of teams back then. If you thought, oh man, if they could just get a quarterback, right? Like Pittsburgh's one of them, but. But you could look at like, oh man, the time frame where like the Vikings 
ran through like Randall Cunningham and they ran through Warren Moon. Like that was those were really good teams mm-hmm. with Randy Moss, and Chris Carter and some of those guys. And they had some good quarterback play. But imagine someone like Dan Marino being like, send me to Minnesota. I want to play with Randy Moss. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, that would be wild. It, and it's I feel, mo- feel like most people today don't realize that those careers did overlap. You know, like you think of Dan Marino, you think of the long hair in the 80s. Um, you don't think of he could have actually played with Randy Moss. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, and Dan Marino, we talk about changing the game with like Peyton Manning. Dan Marino changed the template for quarterbacks. Like the template for quarterbacks after Dan Marino was drafted became like Peyton Manning became the closest thing to that template. Like if you look at guys like Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf, Drew, uh, Drew, uh, not Brees, Drew Bledsoe, um, those guys were the template for a prototypical NFL quarterback because everyone was trying to find the next the next Dan Marino and him throwing for 5,000 yards in whatever year, whatever 80 year, eighties year he did. That would be almost the equivalent of someone throwing for like 6,500 yards nowadays. Yeah. It could be that shocking. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it'd be like, if, if, if it, 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 with who, with what yeah. receivers there were like the Marks brothers, right? The two, mm-hmm. the two marks or whatever, like those guys were for lack of a better term, like they were imps. Like they were little guys. He, like he, the dude, the dude never played with a top tier wide receiver. Like you look at it now, and like Rogers has Devonte Adams and Russell it's Wilson has DK. Yeah, Russell Wilson's got DK and Tyler Lockett. Ben played with with a myriad of you know Antonio Brown, Heinz Ward, all these different guys. Um, all of these dudes that you go back through history and you look at, like they were playing with really really solid wideouts and. Then you look at Dan Marino and you're like, you threw 5,000 yards with like OJ McDuffie. <laughs> like, how did that happen? Yep. Agreed. I'm glad we defended Marino's honor. Feels good. We have to. We have, we have to. to. So now let's go to some obscure players. Who are oh. your favorite? Obs- this is, I'm excited for this. I have, I have Wes Welker before Wes Welker. <laughs> okay. And that's Tim, Tim Dwight. Oh, nice. Okay. Tim Dwight of, I Oh God, he played for like every team. The, I, I remember played, him for the Chargers. I feel like that's where I Chargers, remember. Chargers and Falcons. I think are the most ah, prominent. Falcons, yeah, but he was just a speedy little white return guy, <laughs> and you know he, he played around the time where like I had sort of believed once once upon a time that I was going to be. You know, my dad's like six three. I believed I was going to be six three, and I was going to be a big tall quarterback <laughs> or you know whatever. Then I was like. I'm going to be 5'11", and I'm going to need to be fast, and I'm white, so I don't know what I don't know what role I can play. I don't know what I'm going to do. And uh, uh, Tim Dwight gave gave short white guys everywhere hope. Short, scrappy white guys uh, with his kick return skills, and and he was on the Atlanta Falcons team that lost to the Denver Broncos, and he was one of the top receivers on that team. I'm looking him up here. With Chris Chris Chandler yeah, and Jamal yeah, Anderson, was. the Dirty Birds, he was a part of that uh, part of that Super Bowl team, the first Atlanta Super Bowl team to ever, or as first Atlanta team to ever make it to the Super Bowl. Uh, he is Tim Dwight is five eight, one hundred eighty pounds. Yeah, five, well, five eight, even shorter. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> that is. How big is Wes Walker? He's what? He's might even be smaller than Welker, right? 
Well, Welker's probably 5'9", 5'10". I was thinking like 5'10", yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a great one. Uh, Tim Dwight. My favorite obscure player is, I'm going to, he is surreptitiously the one of the all-time best red zone threats of all time at the receiver position. Lavernius Cools. Wow. Do you like that name? Well, here, That's a good one. Here's the thing about Lavernius Cools. He was on my fantasy team in the early 2000s, and I felt like every time they got close, he would end up scoring a touchdown from like a couple yards out. So finally, this past weekend, I was like, I want to figure out, was that just my imagination, or was there something to it? Lavernius Cools scored 50 career touchdowns, postseason included. 31 of those came in the red zone, 18 came within the 10-yard line. So 62% of his career touchdowns came within the red zone, 36% came within the 10-yard line. A sneaky, great red zone threat. Lavernius Coles, love him. Crazy. That's crazy. I never even thought about that. Yeah, that's a good one. And I'm going to tweet him. Maybe we we get Lavernius Coles as a listener guest. Can't. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, okay. So that was mine. I couldn't wait to talk about Lavernius Coles. Lavernius uh, Coles. I love the guy. And then him and Jericho Cautry near the end of his Cautry career. was the one I thought about. He played for yep. Pittsburgh towards the end of his career. Had a oh, couple of good that's games. Right. Sorry, yeah. did I steal one from you? I'm sorry if I did. No, no, no. I got a, I got a different one. I got a different one. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. The um, um, this guy also played for um, and a lot of people don't really remember this. Um, but he played for one of the AFC North teams towards the end of his career um, and had a pretty significant drop, actually. Uh, Lee Evans. Ooh, that's a great one. Of, of Buffalo Bills fame. Who did he um, play for? Baltimore. Really? He signed a free, maybe his free agent contract, or he might have been traded. I don't remember the specifics. But the year before Baltimore won the Super Bowl, uh, against San Francisco, they went to the AFC Championship game against New England in New England. And he had a great career uh, in Buffalo, never really played with a high-quality quarterback, um, but was still productive nonetheless. Um, and so I think he's a, he's another one of those guys that, like, in his prime, had he just, like, gone somewhere else, um, you know, again, like in this era where people can kind of influence moves. Like yeah. I, I would love to have seen him play with a better quarterback because at the time Buffalo just didn't have one. Um, he ended up signing with Baltimore. They made it to the AFC championship game and Joe Flacco threw a fade to him late, late in the fourth, wow. like probably the two minute drill in the fourth quarter back shoulder fade dime from Joe Flacco. And Lee Evans looks like he catches it. And it looks a little bit like the Santonio San Holmes play. Uh-huh. And he gets a little bit of contact and the ball pops out. Oh, I don't remember. And he this. ended up dropping that ball. Yeah, yeah. Lee Evans. I re- I figured he played like five years for the Bills and hung it up. Like that's what I assumed his career was. Yeah, he had a relatively long career. Um You might have mentioned this, but he played with Lozeman, right? That was the Lozeman in Buffalo. He played with Lozeman. They had like a, a revolving door of of pretty rough guys. Yeah. Okay, so here's another one from me. He might be a little bit he might not be obscure enough to list here. I don't know, you tell me. Dante Hall. 
from the Chiefs, the wide receiver. Oh, yeah. He is he talk about getting lost to history. His career, Devin Hester pretty much made Dante Hall's memory obsolete. Unless you were uh watching football that era, you probably have no idea who he is. Yeah, he but he had a run. I I remember people clamoring to to pick him up in the draft because he was an automatic touchdown. Yeah. Every or pick him up in in fantasy out of free agency, um, because he was an automatic touchdown every time, at least one won a game. And I mean to to score on punt returns and kick returns in the way like consistency that he did was absolutely insane. So people were people were trying to grab him, and if they couldn't grab him, they would try to grab Kansas City's defense. <laughs> yeah, that's because true. because defense and special teams that would that would get you points. But yeah, that was crazy. He like changed. He at least changed that portion of the game. Yeah, and I, the thing that sticks out about him is that he was never the fastest. He was just the, he had the quickest feet, and he was the most agile. And that one play against the Broncos, I think it was the Broncos, and I think it was a catch. It wasn't a return, but he caught I think a little swing pass or screen, and he went and he um, he ran up the field like seven ten yards, and he stopped in a dime and move back and two Bronco, two defenders just ran right. And it was like something out of a cartoon. Uh, And you have to remember, they looked like, um, you know, high school football players. Those were grown NFL players. He was doing that too. Yeah, he was, he was insane. I always wondered with him if, if Kansas city or if he would have ever played for a team that ever thought about utilizing him, like you and I have talked about the way the Panthers use McCaffrey or the way, um, like when we, we did our, our assessment of like Kadarius Tony yep. and, and how I would really use Kadarius Tony's like line him up in the backfield and force a linebacker or safety to try to cover him. Like if some offensive coordinator had been creative enough to take Dante Hall, I mean, I don't know who would stop that guy. Yep. Coming out of the backfield, um, not like to hand the ball to him traditionally, but like just line up. You got your number, your RB one, and then you've got Dante Hall in the backfield. Motion him out into the slot, run jet sweeps with him. You could do a bunch of different things with that guy, um, but that just wasn't that wasn't the frame of mind um, that offensive coordinators were in at that at that stage of the game. Um, so, give me another another one from your list. I really, this guy's kind of funny. Um, I'm sticking a little bit with like the Tampa Bay theme. Okay. Joe Jer, Joe Jer Vicious. Ooh, Actually, not so one. much just Tampa Bay because he he was a bit of a journeyman. Yeah, who did he play for? He played for Tampa. I think he played for the Rams. Let me see. I'm gonna look him up now. There's probably a few other teams that Giants, he played for. Joe Jer Vicious, Giants, Bucks, one season in Seattle, and then Cleveland end his career. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. He, um, I, I always remember he had some crazy catch. Um, he was one of the the wide receivers in I think their Super Bowl year, right? He would have played in like two thousand two for Tampa Bay. Um, yeah, he would have. Yep, he was. Yeah, two thousand two Tampa Bay was his first year. Thirty seven catches, four hundred twenty three yards. But I remember there's a play where he tips the ball. I think they're playing Indianapolis, and it might have been that Monday night game where Peyton Manning had that crazy oh, comeback. That's a moment. Yeah, that was a solid moment. But I think in that game, in the context of that game, Joe Jaravicious, it was either against them or it was against the Eagles, where he tips the ball to himself. I need to look this up on YouTube now because it's going to bother me. 
but he like tips the ball to himself um, and catches it in the end zone. Oh, he also played for Seattle in Super Bowl 40. Oh, yeah. I didn't notice that. Yeah, Joe Jarvis's tip catch. Yeah, it's against the Eagles. It's a Monday night football game with an old ABC scoreboard. Oh, man. And Mike Allstott's in the backfield. Brad Johnson's the quarterback. So this is either the year they won the Super Bowl. And Joe Jarvish just tips it up in the air on a little speed out to himself. And it's just one of the coolest catches I've ever seen. I'll have to look this up. Yeah, it was so it was so cool. Um and he was he was like one of those guys that he was a he was a big, like solid big body wide receiver, yeah. but he had just like some skills on him. Yeah, this is crazy. He tips it to himself and there's a there's a safety that's coming off of coverage on Keyshawn Johnson when he sees the ball tipped in the air and Jervish has to snag it from him. Oh man, that's such a cool play. I'm gonna look that up. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a, a good one. one. Um, I have two more that I'd want to go through. First is I think one of the most underrated tight ends from 2006-2015, Owen Daniels. Oh wow, yeah. He had actually two years with a hundred plus targets in Houston. Which nowadays, what you see that reserved for the Kelseys, the Wallers, who else gets yeah, those? Like, probably Kittle. Kittle, Kelsey, yes, Kittle. Kelsey Waller and Kittle, yeah. Ended his career four hundred seventy nine catches, five over almost six thousand yards, thirty six touchdowns. Um, could do everything too. That was that was the the Matt Schaub, Andre Johnson, yep. uh, Arian Foster group. Two time Pro Bowler, two thousand eight and two thousand twelve. Yeah. That's crazy. And he was a, wait, he's a Super Bowl champ. Who did he win that with? Must have been uh, oh Denver, because he ended the career with Peyton Manning. Oh, that's right. They yeah. had a couple. They had a couple. Who was he? Like Jacob Tammy was yep. one of the other time because Peyton had brought over a bunch of guys from Indy. His last year, seventy-seven targets, forty-six catches, five hundred seventeen yards, and three touchdowns. That's not bad. Good for way a, to go a, out. Yeah, late career tight end. His entire career had averaged over ten yards a catch. His entire career. Which isn't, I mean, for a receiver, that's nothing. But for a tight end, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. One of the other guys that I'll I'll throw out um, along the lines of the, the Denver Broncos was uh, was Jake the Snake, Jake Plummer. Okay. It's kind of interesting. I don't even know when Jake Plummer, I don't think he was a first-round pick, but he was like one of those weird. He had a crazy career. He started off in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Did, he, was he in Arizona when they had the... The like the old crazy helmets or the jerseys, you know which ones I'm talking about. They had just the I remember it was like a weird like crimson kind yeah. of deal. Um, yeah, and I remember Emmett Smith played with them yeah. for like wow. a yes. year or something. <laughs> but he he, let's see, 1997. Oh, tell me where he was drafted. He was kind of like Jay Cutler before Jay Cutler, right? Second round, forty yeah. second overall. Yeah, and wasn't he out of Arizona State? Uh, yes, he was. Great, yeah, Ar- great memory. Yeah, Arizona State, and he ended up getting drafted by the Cardinals, and he was pretty consistent and pretty good. And then he went over to to Denver's system, and he was the bridge guy to Jay Cutler. I never realized that. 
in Denver. He was the bridge between um, they had like John Elway, then they had that that sort of like Brian Greasy, and they had a couple guys that just never really made it. And then they brought in Jake Plummer in 2003 in Mike Shanahan's system, and he it looks like his career he threw 4,000 yards in 2004. Yeah, um, threw a lot of picks in his career. Oh wow, <laughs> he did. Threw a lot of picks, but he threw a lot of touchdowns too. So, um, well, that career yeah, then, year, two thousand five, that was the year they lost to the Steelers in the um, AFC Championship Championship game. game. Yeah, they and they and they beat um, New England, the two I think two or three times Super Bowl champion New England Patriots at that point in time. Um, that was that game where yeah, what happened? Champ, that game? I'm missing. Champ Bailey was it Champ? It was somebody had intercepted Brady. Um, near the goal line and was taking the ball back like a hundred, probably like a hundred yards to score. And Ben Watson came from, did pull a DK Metcalf came from the other side of the field and tackled him before, before he scored. I think it was champ. That's another person that was on one of the names on my list. Champ Bailey, all time. Great. Yeah. Um, Oh, he was solid, but he got dog walked by Cedric Wilson (laughs) In in the in that in that AFC championship game. Um yeah, Jake Plummer. That's a name. I yeah. I, I, I still identify him more with Arizona. I'm not sure why. Well he's I think he spent the it was only four years in Denver, five okay. in Arizona. So his career wasn't overly long. He was one of those guys that I think I don't think football was his prime passion. I think it, it was just something he did because he was good at it. Okay. Um, and because he he retired at thirty two. Yeah, that is kind of. I feel like he was around for like fifteen, seventeen years, but no, only ten seasons. He, yeah, he retired in two. That's another one that like. So he had he had the he had a, uh, threw four thousand yards in two thousand four in, in Mike Shanahan's system in Denver. He threw for. 3,300 yards in 2005, took them to the AFC Championship game. I think it looks like he got hurt. Did he get hurt? Seven and four. Yeah, he got hurt in 2006, so maybe that had something to do with it. Okay. Because um, he only played 11 games after having played um, 16 the earlier seasons and only threw for... 13, well, 13 interceptions, 11 touchdowns, only 2,000 yards passing, 55% completion percentage. Um, and then he was just done. They drafted Jay Cutler, and he was done. And I don't know. I feel like at 32, there were probably a lot of teams at that point in time that could have used someone like a Jake Plummer. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It seems like a weird like career cut short. But in terms of the player, he, he like – just knew how to run that Shanahan boot system, zone run, boot off the back, all those waggles and and that kind of stuff. I mean, he was great at throwing on the run. He was great when you got him out of the pocket. He could improvise. There were a lot of good things in Jake Plummer's game, um, but it just seems like his career never really like hit the the launching point that it needed to ascend him into like that next tier yeah. of quarterbacks. Huh. Jake Plummer. So, so my last one, there are deep cuts and then there are deep cuts and this obscure player is Dane Looker. Wow. (laughs) Dane Looker. 
Yeah. Do you remember him at all? I'm sure you do. I'm trying to think. So for sure, played for the Rams. Yep. Yep. He was a wide receiver. Wide receiver. Um, I'm no, I'm confusing with. I was about to say he played for the Panthers too, but that's Ricky Prohl. Yeah, Ricky. That was Ricky Prohl. Dane Looker. Why I liked him. No, no really clue besides two reasons. One, he was number 89. A huge fan. Rams, number 89. I pretty much envisioned myself as him when he played. Because um, right. I was still, you know, even though I didn't play football in high school, I was like, hey, I can still, ma- I can still make it. I could still Yeah, right. So Everyone has that pipe dream, ex- right? Exactly. So I'm like, and the interesting thing is that he, um, he held. He held kicks. 89 receiver. Was the holder for field goal kicks and extra points? Oh wow! Weird, bizarre. No, I to this day I have no idea why. I will actually, if I can find him on Twitter, I'll tweet him and see if he can answer that. But he had a decent year in 2003. He had 75 targets, 47 catches, 495 yards, and three touchdowns. So not great, but you know he had. A, you could say he had a cup of coffee in the league. Yeah, um, solid role player. Yeah, six. Six total years, I think he played. Uh, seven actually. Seven years. Dane Looker was in the NFL. Wow. So did he? Did he only play for the Rams, or only, he probably had other? Only played for the Rams. No, from 2002 to 2008, seven seasons. Um, yeah, ended the year. Ended his career with 112 catches. Wow. So, yeah, like I said, there are deep cuts, and then there, and then there's Dane Looker. Yeah, that's so, cool. Any any more from you? Any obs- more obscure ones from you, Matt? I don't. I don't necessarily have too many obscure ones. I do have a story about a guy that oh, okay. may bring some. Some. Um, he's a little bit obscure, but I, I don't necessarily consider him that way. Uh, Charlie Batch. Okay. And people forget. So Charlie Batch um, is a Pittsburgh native, and he, he. Um, Oh, there's actually a really funny tie in here that I just realized. So he played for the Detroit Lions, kind of after the Joey Harrington area, and he Correct. was a pretty pretty decent quarterback for the Lions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, given that day's standard. Um, <laughs> so yeah, this uh, this story I've got about Charlie Batch. So I I met him. I actually met him a couple of times. He okay. um, he showed up to like some high school like basketball. Steeler all-star games or whatever. Um, but I, I actually spent a little bit of time with him. I did a, a football camp that was run by a couple Steelers. So the year after the Steelers won the Super Bowl, it was it was Antoine Randall ran the camp. And then uh, the following year was like, a, it was James Harrison and Ryan Clark ran the camp. And um, so Charlie came the year after they won the Super Bowl. And people, people like forget that that year that Pittsburgh went to the Super Bowl and beat Seattle. They were the sixth seed, and Ben Roethlisberger had been hurt, um, so Charlie had to start two games for the Steelers that year, and he won both of those games. Um, he comp- completed 64 percent of his passes, threw for a decent amount of yardage, threw some touchdowns. Like he was like quietly a really good backup for Pittsburgh um, during the Ben Roethlisberger yeah. era. He actually played from like. 1998 to 2012, which was kind of crazy to think about. 2012, I picture him just as like a 2000, like he retired when after they won the Super Bowl. No, he, yeah, he had a year off. He like didn't play in 2008, but he was back in 2009, uh, played through 2012, um, and he won some games for Pittsburgh like during his tenure. 
um, eight years in Pittsburgh, which is kind of crazy. But after they won the Super Bowl, well, in two- on, I'm sorry, sorry, yeah. I, I'm on a, del- I was my brain's on a delay. That the what, right at the beginning, you're talking about the camps. They had that at our high school, right? And that was like Lewis Lips was there. Like who else? Well, the, that those were the the Steelers like All Star games. Okay, it was a celebrity basketball game or something. Um, so they, like Charlie Batch was there. Uh, Lewis Lips was someone that was there. I remember like the the old he was like a practice squad wide receiver like Lee Hayes. Oh, um, I love Lee because he won number eighty nine. I love yeah, Lee Hayes. Lee, yeah, Lee Hayes played. <laughs> um, and like James Harrison before, like people don't realize like James Harrison didn't really break out until like 2007, 2008. Uh, but he was a special teams player for that first Super Bowl against Seattle. Um, so he like played in some of those games. So like that was kind of the crew that like went around and played like the, the celebrity basketball crew. games. Yeah. So same, same group that kind of did some of these camps. So Randall Ells were in the camp right after the Super Bowl. I'm a, you know, 13, 14 year old kid. And um, Charlie Batch comes and he like, was really cool. Like he did drills with us. He like, I was a quarterback. So he like participated in some of our drills and like coached us up and like taught us little, you know, you know, tips and tools of the trade and, you know, stuff like that was really cool. And he seemed like, like a really genuinely nice dude. He was, he was pretty intense, but like in a good way. Um, and just genuinely like would ask you questions, like really, really down to earth kind of guy. So after he did the day of like drills with us, we brought the whole camp together and, and, you know, asked him like he did a Q and a, like he gave us a little speech, like a pep talk about hard work and kind of the stuff you usually hear from people, um, you know, athletes. And he did this, like this talk for us. And then we opened it up to Q and a. So people asked him questions like, like usually the kids would ask questions like, Hey, who was your favorite player growing up? Or what did you do? Like, how did you motivate yourself? Or like, you know, stuff like 13 and 13 to 18 year olds want to know about from a professional athlete, the normal stuff, the normal stuff. Right. So context you, and you mentioned this earlier in the podcast, there was the Ben Roethlisberger shoestring tackle. Yeah. And there was a guy for the Indianapolis Colts when Ben, when Bettis fumbled that ball that, that needed, um, Ben Roethlisberger to tackle like the guy that, that recovered that fumble. Um, I think his last name was Jackson. I don't remember his first name and I don't want to like throw the wrong name out there. Um, but that guy had an altercation with his wife either the week before or the week leading into that divisional round game against Pittsburgh where she like stabbed him in the leg or something crazy like that. Um, and Nick Harper. So, I think that's who it was. Nick, Nick Harper. Harper. Yeah. For whatever reason, I thought it was like Jackson or something. Um, but yeah, Nick Harper and he had like this altercation with his wife. It was a pretty serious situation, but he was still able to play like whatever damage was caused was not serious enough that he wasn't able to play. So he picks up the ball. He's taken off down the field. Roethlisberger makes that miraculous tackle. Vanderjack biffs the kick like and the Steelers move on. The rest is history. So fast forward to this camp, like all these kids are asking questions and then randomly, like out of the blue, some adult, like this kid's getting ready to ask a question. This adult just like, like just interrupts him and like talks over him and all this kind of stuff. He's like, he's like, Charlie, Charlie, I got a question for you. So Charlie's like, okay, and this was a coach at the camp, um, you know, classic football, you know, high school football coach Yokel. And he, he asked the question, how, 
how thankful were you guys for that dude's wife stabbing him (laughs) the week before? So like absolutely insane. (laughs) Like a grown, like a grown human being asking this question over a 13 year old who's trying to ask a question to an NFL quarterback. So he decides he's going to ask this dude about the guy who got stabbed. And Charlie goes from like, happy-go-lucky, talking to kids, having fun, being motivational, to, like, deadpan glower. Like, he's angry at this dude. He's (laughs) staring at this guy, and he goes, at the end of the day, I'm I'm, I'm paraphrasing him, but he's like, at the end of the day, this is just a game. This is football. And things like violence and domestic abuse and and, uh, the breakdown of a marriage are more important and more serious than the game. And we would wow. never want to take something like we would never want to take someone else's misfortune and celebrate that. And he just like shut this dude down <laughs> in front of like 300 campers. And the guy looked like a complete moron. And it was just great. And I was like, like, I was like, Charlie, you're, you're the dude. Like, you're just like a solid dude. Um, so yeah, that's my, Oh my God. That's my batch story. So I looked it up, and Nick Harper's wife told police she accidentally stabbed her husband while waving a fillet knife at him during an argument. Abs- ab- accidentally stabbed him. Accidentally stabbed a- and him. I think it was the chest, right? P- no, puncture wound to his right knee. To his right knee, yeah. That oh, may have been why he was God. like, oh, he was slower because he was it was in the leg, yeah. I can just Insane. picture this like... This, I don't know. I'm thinking of like a 45. This guy had to wear a visor. Like I'm sure this this coach wore a visor, and he is like so giddy with excitement that he just has this perfect joke. Like I get like, and he just and he thinks he's gonna be the funniest man in the world. Ass it just boom falls flat. I get yeah. it if you're like one on one with him, and you're like, hey, trying to be funny, make a joke, and doesn't like we've all been there. But like to grab, like like hand of God, grab it. That's how I imagine this is from a kid just ripping out of his hand. Like like, hey, uh, what about that guy who got stabbed? Do you think for his wife? Like just an insane thing to ask a human being. Oh, I know it was wild, and I don't remember what his apparel was, but I remember him being. This is a classic classic Western Pennsylvania football coach. But he was he he was a short guy, so he probably had like a little Napoleon complex. Yep, yep. yep. He had he had the t-shirt tucked in to his gym shorts, and he pulled them a <laughs> little bit too high up. Classic. Those are the main things that I remember about him. Um, but like, yeah, that's that's a classic Western Pennsylvania football coach slash yokel. So that literally happened. Now I'm looking at the story that happened Saturday at three forty five p.m. So like less than twenty four hours. That's crazy, yeah. Before the game. So right before the game, yeah. Oh, man. What a great That's story. Insane. I wonder if Charlie remembers that. We should tweet at him the episode and see if he remembers that. That that would be funny. He was he'll he'll want to listen to the episode. He was such a cool guy. Like when he went to to hang out with us, like sometimes players would come and you would just kind of know they're there just to be there. Yeah. Um but like the people that I engaged with um Charlie was really cool. Anton Randallel was really, really nice. Ryan Clark ran the camp the following year, and he was really funny and really personable. And he was, like, really passionate and very nice. Um, James Harrison was terrifying. (laughs) Straight up terrifying. 
like yeah. just his natural way to like the, the meat. Does he trying to intimidate or was just his, just how he was naturally? So, so I actually have maybe I have a funny story about James Harrison too, um, that I can maybe share. Okay. So, so I, like I mentioned, did the quarterback drills the following year I was doing, um, they had me doing linebacker drills as well. Cause you, you, you played both sides of the ball, yeah. right? So you picked an offensive and defensive position. So linebacker was the one that they, that, that was kind of the best fit for me at that stage of, of the game. And so Harrison was doing drills with us. Um, he was just kind of coaching the drill. Like he wasn't quite as involved as like Charlie batch, but, um, and people don't realize this, like, like James Harrison's only maybe five, nine. Cause I'm, wow. I'm like five, five, 11, probably at that point I was like five, 10. I was taller than him, oh, shoot. but he's a giant ball of muscle. So you go from like 13 year old Matt, who's listening to Charlie Batch's moral compass <laughs> and is kind of like still not really sure and hasn't played a lot of football and is kind of awkward. And then you go after a year of playing football and having your ego blown up because you had like one good game or one good season or whatever. So I'm kind of like, um, I'm now a 14 or a 15 year old and I'm a little cocky, right? I'm having a good camp. I'm playing really well. Um, so I'm doing these drills and the year before, James Harrison, if you remember there was a Browns fan who like oh, ran out onto the field yeah. against the Steelers and he like slammed him. Yep. So we'd have like the, the internet wasn't or YouTube wasn't as prevalent back then. So when the broadcast actually happened and James Harrison like like took down the fan, they they cut the broadcast. So no one actually saw what happened. And uh, you can go on YouTube now and see what actually happened. But at that point, no one saw it. You just heard the audio of like, and Harrison takes him down from like the, but they cut the screen to black. So I go up to Harrison. We have a water break. I go up to Harrison after the drill. This is, says this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. One of the dumbest things I've ever done. I put my arm around him for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a personal relationship. He wasn't talking to me during the drills, but cause I'm just some arrogant, stupid 15 year old or whatever, however old I was. I put my arm around this dude and I go, Mr. Harrison, I got a question for you. He doesn't respond. He just looks at me with like, like deadpan. Uh-huh. So he just stares at me and I go, what really happened to that Browns fan last season that ran onto the field? And he looks at me with just those dead James Harrison eyes and that like permanent scowl that just is plastered onto his face. He goes, I slammed him. So what? And I could not get away from him quicker. He was so terrifying. And I'm sure he might have been a nice guy, but he was like, whoa. And I just like, I like slowly moved my arm away from his shoulder and I just backed away slowly. And I was like, okay, don't ever talk to James Harrison again. So you were kind of like the the player version, that coach who asked Charlie Batch the question, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. I immediately <laughs> forgot all the lessons that Charlie Batch had taught me, and I turned into kind of a kind of a dum dum for for a couple years of life. The um, arm around the shoulder, though, just like that is just the chef's kiss on the story. Bold. It was bold and moronic. <laughs> I do not recommend it for any teenagers thinking about giving James Harrison a hug. Because the first thought was just like, this fucking, who is this fucking? <laughs> probably, probably. <laughs> yeah. So those are, those are, those are uh, two oh, fun right. stories. It was a good camp. It was a lot of fun. But yeah, that was, uh, 
That was interesting. That's awesome. So the one thing that um, that I feel like we'll end with because we have to get Bill on a couple of these episodes. Yeah, Bill. So, Bill's got all the all the obscure information. So I don't want to chew all the meat off the bone, but yeah. I do want to end with one thing. Uh, what is one or two things that you got right that no one that because we didn't have a podcast or whatever, no one would actually believe that you got it right. Uh, I feel like me and you may have the same one for one of them, but what did you get right that no one believed now looking back that you would have gotten right? Oh, give, give me, give me yours. Give me yours. I want to hear yours first. I want to see if you got the same one that I'm thinking of. So one, um, I'll say the more, the one, the most recent one I have is that Lamar Jackson was the best quarterback in his class and he was going to be an absolute stud. Um, oh yeah. That's the one I had because I, I, the story behind that, and I'll be and I'll be brief, but I was eating dinner at this um, at this restaurant down in Florida. I forget if I was in the middle of the state. I think I feel like I was on a trip somewhere, not for work, but just for pleasure, like up north of Miami. But I was at this restaurant eating. There was um, Louisville game on, or the Louisville highlight just showed. And I start talking to this guy next to me about like college football. It's a Saturday. And he mentions, and he's like, yeah, he's like, I coached, he was like Lamar Jackson's coach. And I didn't get like his name or whatever, but he was like his high school coach. And I was like talking to him and he said, and this is when he was still at Louisville. He goes, listen, I hear all this stuff people are saying. He's like, there is no one that works harder than him. I would put any amount of money that he ends up being a great pro player he just has the mentality like i've because co- down in miami they coach you know you coach multiple poor plays so he absolutely has the mentality of a great professional football player and then that i was kind of sold at that point i'm like if you get that endorsement from just like it's not like i'm a personnel guy you know from a yeah. team that's trying to impress i'm just this random fan who he's preaching to about this kid years before he was actually on like a draft like really radar um, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm sold. So like, I feel like that was the one, but looking back on it now, like I remember draft night saying Lamar Jackson's the best quarterback, but like, we don't have, like, there's can't go find the text. There's no podcast. Like everyone yeah. now is like, okay, buddy, like, sure you did. Sure. You know, but that's the one, that's one of the two that I have. Yeah. The one, the one for me, um, and it's actually kind of funny if you listen to the podcast, I don't like this dude. Um, but I used to be a huge fan. Um, back when he was coming out of Wisconsin, but uh, I was all on Russell Wilson nice. when he was getting drafted. Um, even though he was a bit on the smaller side, uh, I saw the NFL arm talent. He was really good in the pocket. Um, I I love the way that Wisconsin used him with the play action. Like he played in a legitimate pro style offense in Wisconsin. And I loved the dude's pocket presence and his like escapability, but but escapability to make a throw, not always just to run. Uh, and you see so, so much of that in his game. And I really liked him. I thought that Wisconsin team was, um, and and they didn't end up making the national championship, or I don't think they had the college football playoff at that point in time. Um, but I still like I stood by like. I know they had a couple fluky losses, but that was the best team in the nation. And if you would have given Russell Wilson a shot against Alabama, if you would have given him a shot against whatever teams made it to the national championship that year, I was all on Russell Wilson. Um, And I never said that he should have necessarily been a first round pick, 
Um, but I, he was one of those guys that like I knew if he got in the league and someone gave him a shot, he was going to be really, really good. Um, and that was that was the one that like to to have ID'd a middle round dude. Um, that that was probably the one. Now I don't I don't really like him so much as as a football player. I still think he's fantastic, but. Yeah. I just get I get a little bit haywire with him about some of the personality things and the way he kind of operates. I think doesn't always it, it seems a little disingenuous to me. Um, you know, we've we've talked at length about some of that stuff, but coming out of Wisconsin, he was a primo prospect, and I was like, I don't care if this dude's five eleven or six foot, like he's better than some of the quarterbacks that were in that class. Um, and you know, I, I think if he would have been six, five, he'd have been the first overall pick. Um, but yeah, he was the one that I had kind of called out of nowhere, um, after watching him at Wisconsin, I was a huge fan coming out of Wisconsin that he was, if someone gave him a shot, he was going to be a, a top tier NFL player. So it was kind of like a combination of those two things that led us to eventually make this podcast because we wanted all of our shit to be on record from now on. Yeah, yeah. We well, you know, you and I were right about you know Herbert. Um, I have a feeling I'm going to be right about Fields, but there's there's like a, been a lot of those those sort of players that you can look back through, um, you know. But I feel like most of them have kind of been busted. We've been like that guy's not going to be good. Like yeah. you, you know, your Manzels and uh, your Josh Rosens and some of those guys. And I feel increasingly as though I am going to be wrong about Fields, but. Um... Yeah, my ego. Time. Yeah, my ego wants him to fail. No other reason than I just don't want to be wrong on him. Yeah. Um, the other one I had, and this is I, I, what I think Bill could vouch for me on this one, is this is a most Dane Looker deep cut. In 2005, I was we were in the midst of the beginning of our fantasy league, mm. and I went back in the annals to find this out. There was a t- I had gym class with like. Either it was either it could have been you because you were a freshman at that point. I think it was Bill and Kevin Curtis had had like his first good game for the Rams, like pre Eagles Kevin Curtis. And this was when they still had Isaac Bruce, Torrey Holt near the end of that, near the end of that um, era. And Mm -hmm. it was, I went back and found all the stats. It was like week three, went five, five catches, 56 yards, a touchdown. I picked them up. Bill laughed at me. You know, why are you picking up a third receiver on this team? They're not really that good. You know, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I'm like, hey, listen, I, you know, they pass enough They're you know, and if I was like, if Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce gets hurt, you know, he's the man. And over the next two weeks, guess what happens? Bruce gets hurt. Holt gets hurt. And then Kevin Curtis has weeks of five catches, 63 yards, a touchdown, three catches, 73 yards, a touchdown, three catches, 105 yards and a touchdown, nine catches, 98 yards and a touchdown. So I think Kevin Curtis is 2005 season that no one can verify except I think bill to this day, but I was all over that. No one would believe me though. And I don't expect them to, but that's wild. That's wild. Yeah. Anything, any other ones that you got right that no one would believe? Um, I can't think, you know, the, the, and Bill, Bill socialized this once on the podcast. I mean, I, I talked about Justin Herbert getting Justin Herbert, right. But I also missed like hardcore on Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Um, so I missed on Mahomes. I was, I was definitely right on, um, I well, I Deshaun Watson. Um, <laughs> you never know what's actually going to happen with that dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was right on, 
Jared Goff. I never felt like Jared okay. Goff was a was a top tier kind of guy. Um, I just had let me see if I can pull a list up here. I'm, I'm leaning more towards some of like the first round quarterbacks. Um, let me see. I just had it and I lost it. Oh, there it is. There's actually been like not that many great first round quarterbacks no. um, as of late. Like Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Pax, Paxton Lynch. I knew was going to be bad. Um, Jameis and Mariota. I kind of said that both of them were going to bad situations, so they were going to have trouble. Even though I still think both of them are incredibly talented. Um, I'd like to see Mariota get another shot at the league. Um, I think he was he was not given um, uh, the greatest opportunity with the Tennessee Titans. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Jameis does. Uh, I knew Bortles was good. That, that Bortles, Manziel, and Bridgewater draft, I knew all those guys weren't going to be any good. Um, EJ Manuel, bad. Um, going back. Man, there's some really junk names in here. EJ Manuel. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else that I kind of picked out. Oh, you know who's another guy that I really wish would have had a different career that I think in a different offense and a different franchise? Um, Matt Leinart. Really? See, I think he he was one of the guys like Jake Plummer you mentioned too. I don't know how much he loved football. Yeah, I don't. Well, that that's the case, but I think the talent was there, and he had some spot starts um, later in his career uh, with the Texans and with the Raiders, where he was mm-hmm. actually pretty productive. Um, so he was one of those guys, like, I'm not, I'm not talking anymore about like what I was right or wrong about. I feel like just, he was kind of a missed opportunity. Um, yeah, Matt Ryan, I hit on Stafford. I hit on, I knew Sanchez was never going to be good. There's, there's a lot of guys like I knew just weren't going to be good. Yeah. Um, but this is really the quarterback position. I'd have to go back and like, try to think up maybe some wide receivers or some other, um, some other guys that. Yeah, that we'll, might stick out. We'll take your time. We'll do it again. Like I said, we'll get, make sure Bill can get on, and we'll get some of his. Uh, we'll get, we we can still go through like best games we've seen, best teams. Like oh, there's still tons of stuff we could go through. So yeah, tons uh, of it, tons of it. But I hope everyone out there had who's had our collective, you know, our old collective football experience start at the same time. I hope you all were able to have some laughs uh, from this too. So uh, anything else you want to add to the people before you hop off, hop off Matt? No, I hope you guys enjoyed the uh, the stories and a little walk down memory lane. Um, it was a lot of fun. Yep. Uh, check out the check out our Twitter pools that we have up. Check out the website footballpodcast.com. We post stuff on the post show that doesn't that we do not talk about here on the pod. So thanks everyone for listening. And Matt, always a pleasure, my brother. As always. All right. Peace. See you.